Hello, and welcome to the Rosie Report podcast, where I chat with changemakers about reimagining a more equitable future of work. I'm your host, Steph, founder of We Are Rosie, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming our guest, Tiffany Dufu, founder and CEO of The Crew, a peer coaching service for women looking to accelerate their professional and personal growth. The Crew is the most recently funded venture in the Bumble Fund, Bumble's seed and early stage corporate venture investing vehicle, focusing primarily on businesses founded and led by women of color and those from underrepresented groups. Bumble Fund is open to all women entrepreneurs, prioritizing those with diverse backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives. Welcome, Tiffany. We're so excited to have you on today. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yes. And I, um, I love, you know, as I've like done a deep dive on the crew, I lo- we started our businesses around the same time, like about two and a half, a little bit more years ago. And I, um, I think the mission is incredible. We'll dig in on that. But I just want to hear a little bit about like what led you to start the crew. Like, tell me a little bit about your background, like what got you to this place? Of course. Well, the first thing that you should know and that I always start with is that my life's work is advancing women and girls. That's pretty much why I'm on the planet. So my life is fairly simple in that I know what's on my tombstone and I'm just kind of project managing my life backwards. Um, I feel really lucky that I get to execute my purpose as founder and CEO of the crew. Uh, Before that, I had the pleasure of executing that purpose at a technology startup called Levo that was very focused on millennial women and helping them to elevate their careers. Before that, I did a stint on the launch team Lean In and was a big advocate of Lean In Circles, as you can imagine. Before that, I ran a national women's leadership organization called the White House Project. We trained women to run for political office across the country, and I'm very proud to see some of the fruits of that labor uh, coming to fruition as so many women are running for political office. Before that, I was a nonprofit fundraiser. I raised money for Simmons College, which is a university in Boston, and for a really special place in my hometown called Seattle Girls School um, that's really focused on math, science, and technology. So basically, every job I've had, every dollar I've donated, every board I've sat on, now I'm on the board of Simmons University, and I'm also on the board of Girls Who Code, has been focused on how do we harness women's talent and women's ingenuity for the benefit of all of us. That's all I've ever done or really cared about. So the crew is just an outgrowth of that. Uh, We match circles of women who collaborate to meet their life goals together. And I started the crew because I'm someone who's the cumulative investment of a lot of people. I have a crew. I wouldn't be here without them. So I understand the value of it. But I had what I call a Tiffany's epiphany in January of 2018. Some people call them aha moments. I was actually meeting with a woman at another female-focused collaborative community uh, and space called The Wing, um, which unfortunately is really struggling right now. But I was the first member that walked into that Flatiron location. I used to meet women there uh, all the time. And I was having a conversation with a woman who I was giving my pep talk to about how she needed to find her crew. And she really pushed back. Uh, She basically said to me, Tiffany, I understand theoretically the idea of having a group of people who hold you accountable and support you in achieving your goals, but I don't think you appreciate the amount of work 
that goes in to finding your crew. And then she proceeded to explain the workflow to me, everything from I'd have to get access to the cocktail party or the conference or the event. Then I would have to show up, awkwardly introduce myself to strangers, collect all of the business cards. Then you want me to reach out to all of these people, have the coffees, the teas and the lunches. By the way, I had to take Tom out of my job to meet you here at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday, right? Then you want me to like find out who I'm compatible with and then coordinate regular gatherings where we're going to put forth our ambitions together. I'm exhausted. And did I mention I have a full-time job and three kids and a mom with a diagnosis? I don't know. I'm moving today and doing my podcast from a chiropractor's office. (laughs) You know, um, it's like I, I have a mom with a diagnosis and a commute and a dog and I just don't have time to do what you're asking. And so I realized, you know, Tiffany, if your life's work is advancing women and girls, you should probably stop preaching to women about how, you know, they need to find a crew, which I do a lot. I'm actually a public speaker. I wrote a book called Drop the Ball. You know, there's a lot of ways in which I evangelize what you should be doing. You should probably just do the work. You should probably just find the crew for her. And that was the pain point that I felt we had in the market, you know, of just taking all of the work out of the networking um, and getting to the part of really supporting one another and helping one another thrive. I love this. I just wrote down like 15 questions that I have for you as a follow-up, but I'll, I'll go back to one of the things that you said at first, which is, you know, the crew is an extension of your sole purpose journey um, and what you're on this earth to do. And I feel very fortunate to be in the same category, right? Like I am living out my sole purpose journey. I haven't been living it out quite as long as you have. It sounds like you figured it out really early on in your career, which is such a gift. One of the questions I get asked all the time is how do you detect and be inspired by your sole purpose journey? Like how, I'm curious what your, you know, I know my story and kind of figuring out what it was, but how did you know that this was your calling and what you're meant to be doing with your life? I think it's a decision. I believe that purpose is a decision inspired by experience. I'm sure there are people who are walking down the street the skies open up, I don't know, the rain starts falling, they drop to their knees and some voice of God tells them you are here to save the orca whales or whatever, whatever their purpose might be. That is not how I have found it to happen from basically all the people who I know who are purpose-driven leaders. What happens is that something happens to you in your life or a series of experiences you have inspire you to care more about something than you know, than something else. The experience that most informs my decision to advance women and girls uh, is related to my mom who found out that she was pregnant with me when she was 19 years old. My parents are from Watts, LA. Uh, My mom decided there had to be something other than what she saw around her and happened to have an uncle who was an army recruiter. So between the uncle and my mom, my dad was convinced, quote unquote, to join the army. And I was born nine months later at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, My dad had to kick a heroin addiction to even be able to pass the physical exam to get into the army. And my parents broke a very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence in one generation based off of that move and based off of my mother's gut you know, and her insight saying, I need to get out of here and I need to figure out a way to protect myself and and this child. So she made a decision though, to be what I call a non-paid working mom. Mm. Uh, That's my way of of honoring women who are not compensated for their labor. And 
the one of the outcomes of that decision was that when I was 16 and my parents got divorced, by the way, my dad, who you heard the situation he was in, eventually went to college on the GI Bill, earned a PhD in theology. When I grew up, he was the pastor of churches. But when my parents got divorced when I was 16, it was my dad who had all of the social and the economic and the political capital that I thought was our families because he had gotten the degree. He's the one who was you know, working outside of the home. He was the one who had won the awards. And my mom, unfortunately, spun back into those vicious cycles of poverty and addiction and violence with her second husband, which I was not familiar with at all because remember they had broken those cycles for me. Yeah. So I spent most of my twenties trying to save my mom uh, before I realized that, you know, each of us is the most powerful change agent in our own journey. Uh, that she did not have a mom like I did who intervened by telling her every day, Tiffany, you're so smart and you're yeah. so beautiful and you're so loved. And so I couldn't do it. But every day I get up in honor of my mom, you know, and her courage and what she did to intervene in my life to get to every woman that I can to just whisper in her ear. If you're listening right now, I am literally whispering to you. You are so smart. You are so loved. You are so beautiful. We are going to get through this crisis. <laughs> we're going to get through this moment in history and we're going to be okay. Yeah, Tiffany, that is, it like actually makes me emotional um, to respond to your story. Like what an incredible story. And it's, um, there are similar parallels to my story. And my, my father grew up in a refugee camp and cannot read and write English and came to the States and gave his children an opportunity that he could have never even imagined, right? As a child living in a refugee camp who was orphaned at such a young age. And the ability and opportunity that we have to um, to leapfrog what was capable for those who came, uh, or what was possible for those who came before us in our own lives is such a gift, um, and I think it it allows you um, a little more firm ground to stand on in making that decision that you're not going to waste your life and yes. to see really clearly the opportunity that we have. Um, that's a beautiful story. I think it's even more. It's deep. It's even deeper because not only do we have an opportunity to leapfrog for the next generation, we can actually leapfrog even in our own in really powerful ways. And you mentioning your father reminds me of a conversation I had with my dad years ago. I was pregnant with my second child. And I, it was like one of those touchy feely moments where you're trying to bond with your parent. And I was telling yeah. him what I hoped for, for this child. And I asked my dad, daddy, you know, when I was born or when, you know, mom was pregnant with me, what did you hope for? What did you wish for? And he got very quiet. And I almost retracted the question before he said, um, I'm embarrassed of my answer to that question. And I said, Daddy, how could you possibly be embarrassed? It had to have been something positive. <laughs> and he said it was. He said, it's just that when you were first born, what I most wanted was for you to graduate from high school and not get pregnant. He said, the woman that you are right now, I didn't even know that women like you existed when you yeah. were born. You know, I just hoped. I just hoped. And so each one of us has the power to manifest a reality that we actually can't imagine right yeah. now. Uh, even in your lifetime, even in your life, even with what you want to achieve, you may not be able to see what's on the other side. You can mm -hmm. still get there. Yeah, 
I, I love that. And I, I think my dad's kind of view on what he would hope for for his children is something similar, right? Like just to graduate high school, you know, and, and to be happy and have some consistency in, life, in your life. And I think one of the things I think about a lot as a, an entrepreneur on a sole purpose journey is like, part of my job is to set such audacious goals that I'm going to have to change who I am to achieve them. Like I'm going to have to become a better version of myself to actually make that happen. And it's like a, it's a muscle that I think we have to flex and you have to like practice doing that because it feels very scary and it feels kind of crazy and like, who the hell do you think you are? But if you get used to just setting these, these objectives and milestones for yourself that like, you're going to have to transform in a really incredible way to make them a reality. Like that's how you can begin to create this massive change in your own life and understanding of what you're capable of completely. And you don't even have to have it all planned out. If you just take the one step, you know, that you're referencing or referring to, I was, well, I was, I was about to say I was watching a basketball game. I was not watching the game. I was trying to support my husband and I was half falling asleep, (laughs) but there was a commercial for this sports drink and the overview, the voiceover of the commercial had this man saying that the difference between imagining the future and being the future is what you do to get there. Mm. Right? So it's yeah. just it's just taking the step. Yeah. Taking the next step. Yeah. I agree and I I love the part of your story where like life hasn't been easy, right? It wasn't easy for your parents. It wasn't easy for you. Um, And it reminds me of something else I think about a lot that one of my mentors said to me, which is Steph, the pain is the portal. Like you have to go through the yuck to come out on the other side in the light. And that is something that I, um, a mantra that I use so often, like um, this idea, someone was saying the other day, like this whole idea that just things that happen in life are so offensive to us. Like they're so upsetting when they're just part of life. Life is discomfort, right? And the expectation that it's not is what can, can create, um, you know, you spinning out, but understanding and expecting these things and knowing like the pain is the portal. This is a gift to help me become better. is like such a, such a cool outlook. Oh my goodness. When I was, uh, having my first child and it was my first time I got to a point and my mother was with me where I thought I was going to die and I looked up at her and I said mommy I said I'm going to die and she said how do you know and I said it hurts so bad and she says are you sure you feel like you're going to die and I said yes and she looked at me and she got this big huge grin on her face and she says to me that means the baby's coming. (laughs) She was so excited. The pain is the portal. Yes. Tiffany, that's so funny that you bring that up. I won't go into this too much, but I had natural childbirth with both of my girls. And that's where I learned that. Like you have to expect it. Yes. It has to get more intense. Childbirth has to get more intense before the baby comes. That's how the process works. Um, And you have to expect it and embrace it and know that that is the portal. Like that is how you get the baby on the other side. And I I've written a lot about that, right? How childbirth taught me how to run a business because that is part of the deal. So I love that you had that experience that your your mother was with you. My mom was with me for both my girls too. Oh, that's amazing, Steph. Okay, I forgot what we're supposed to be talking about. I know. I could just talk to you all day. (laughs) We've got this. I want to bring it back. So I do, I want to know like, who is your crew? Like, and has it changed? Does it, do you find that it evolves over time? And like, who helped you get your business off the ground and to who's your crew now? Like, tell me about your personal crew. 
Yes. So I think we need different groups of constituents of people in our lives. Um, Early in my career, I had what people now refer to as mentors. I didn't know that's what they were. I just kind of referred to them as my sages, you know, people who can help you to achieve clarity through guidance and encouragement and they know you and they tell you, you know, give you the feedback you need to hear and all of that. I've also really benefited from sponsors in my career, people whose primary role is in what they say about you to other people when you're not in the room. I've had some critical ones, including Marie C. Wilson, who I always have to give a shout out to. Um, She built the Ms. Foundation for Women. She started Take Our Daughters to Work Day. And she's the one who, when she was retiring from the White House Project, said, you know, Tiffany Dufu is going to be the next president of the White House Project. Just an amazing sponsor of mine. But in addition to that, I have had a crew. Um, which I consider to be a really unique group of people who are largely an accountability group for you. Um, My crew includes really incredible women like Reshma Saujani, who's the founder of Girls Who Code. Um, It includes um, just women like Cindy Pace, um, who's now running all of uh, human resources and diversity and inclusion at MetLife. Um, It includes women like... um, Michelle Gowan, who is an amazing writer, started her career at O Magazine and is is just an amazing journalist. Uh, Amanda Schumacher, who's a really great publicist. Uh, Mm. Kathleen Harris, who started her career uh, in the magazine world and eventually rose to be the editor-in-chief at uh, realsimple.com. I mean, I just have amazing, you know, people who, Daisy Aguirre Dominguez, who's now running all of people at Vice. Um, You know, they're just really incredible women. I think it's important that you have a group of people who know what your ambitions are, they know what your plans are, and they're largely holding your feet to the fire. Uh, The crew would not exist if it weren't for my crew, figuratively, but also literally, because one of my challenges in launching the crew, or so I thought, uh, was that I didn't have a team, I didn't have a staff of people, and I didn't have a lot of monetary resources to get my business off of the ground. And I was being held accountable at one of my crew gatherings, which is just dinners that we have. And one of my crew members was like, are you crazy? What are you talking about? You're trying to start a company. You're telling us that you don't have a team. You have a team. You have us. You have people in your life. You have an incredible network. Like, you need to stop making excuses and get to it. Uh, And that Saturday, I actually went to my office. I decided that I was just going to get help from whoever would be willing to help me. And I basically made a list of all the things I needed in order to launch the crew from a logo to maybe a psychologist to help me with what questions we should ask to match people. I was going to need an engineer, like basically everything I needed. I created a timeline and then I put the name of whoever I knew that I thought could be helpful regardless of what they were currently doing. Because of course my big thing would be, oh, they have a big job. They're not going to be able to help me just forget that. Just who is the best person that you know? And I sent an email to everyone saying, I wrote this list. I'm trying to get the crew off of the ground. Can you look, find your name on the list and tell me if you can do X by that date? Because if you can, I think I can at least launch. And then once I get some traction, which I didn't know what traction was at the time, but once, you know, the legs get going on this, I think I might be able to find a way to like get some revenue. Mm. And what did everybody say? Of course, everybody said yes. Mm. There's one thing I can say is ask for help. The universe conspires to buoy people who ask for help, (laughs) who ask for what they need. And that's how I launched the crew with a bunch of volunteers. I ended up paying 
uh, about $1,500 uh, for a designer to do the logo because the person who the designer was like, I can't, I'm totally busy, but I have an amazing person. Uh, by the way, her name is Maya Gancheva and she's still with me. She still designs mm -hmm. everything uh, for the crew. So that turned out to be the best introduction. Outside mm -hmm. of that, everybody just volunteered their time to help me get it off the ground. Yes, that's such a gift. A very similar story on my on my end too. But I think one of the things, whether you're starting a business or whether you're launching your side hustle or you're just kind of going on this journey to figure out who you want to be in life and what you want, how you want to express who you are in this lifetime. My coach calls it Earth School. She's like, "What do you want to do while you're here on Earth School?" Um, but I think asking for help and not getting overwhelmed by um, the magnitude of your ambition or your goals and just taking that first step, like send that first email, ask that one person for help, do the one thing that makes you uncomfortable because changing who you are and how you're living um, as an expression of who you are is going to require behavior change. So you've got to get used to being uncomfortable. Like that's the most important thing you can do. Do the thing that makes you uncomfortable. Ask the, reach too high to ask for help from a certain person that you don't think will help you. Like just flex that uncomfortable muscle because that's how you create meaningful change. And it sounds like that's what you, your, your friends politely called you on and got you moving um, to do it. I love that story. Yes, absolutely. Um, tell me a little bit about the crew. Like, like how do people join? How does it work? Do you have a psychologist on staff? Like, I want to hear more about it. Sure. So the way the crew basically works is that you apply for membership. Uh, you can just go to thecrew.com and we spell it C-R-U because um, C-R-E-W was taken. <laughs> um, you know, early stage startup, you do, you do what you can. And you give us some information about yourself. And we use that data in order to match you with a group of nine other people who you meet with on a regular basis at what we call gatherings. During your gatherings, you do what we call crew coaching. So each person takes a turn, um, giving an update on their goals. And after you give an update, you receive a set of open-ended questions from your crew that's all kind of laid out in what we call the crew playbook. It's a really great kind of coaching methodology. The person on your right is your note taker. Uh, so that you can just remain present during your coaching session. The person on your left is your timekeeper because we honor time in the crew and we want to make sure that everyone has an opportunity to go around. So it's a very member-driven community. Uh, the host of that gathering, the gatherings rotates. The note-taker role rotates. The timekeeper role rotates. And in addition to that, you do interface digitally. So the organizing principle of the crew or what we call intentions or what people call goals, we're agnostic to what your intentions are, but you do need to establish them at the beginning of your journey. They can be professional intentions like getting a promotion or a raise. They can be personal intentions like running a 5K, spending more time with your family. But at the beginning of your journey, you decide what those are. You upload those into the digital intention tracking tool and your crew can see them. And they're holding you accountable digitally, but also through these gatherings. So that's, that's fundamentally how it works. I love that. And so did you all have to transition to a digital format or were you already doing that kind of pre-COVID? Well, interestingly enough, I was one of those founders who was very stubborn about everything being in person. Mm. <laughs> um, and so, so, so the crews definitely met in person. And just, you know, because we're talking about enterprise and business here, uh, that really uh, was a barrier. But I didn't, 
I didn't care so much. Like to me, it was that part of the experience was so important. The reason why it was a barrier is because we have a lot of applicants to the crew. In order for us to match women, it required that any city or region that we went into had a critical mass of applicants in order to be able to match women. So if you were in Tulsa or if you were in Cincinnati, it would be a long time probably before we would get to you. Well, what happened in the wake of COVID was that all of our crews had to start meeting virtually via Zoom. And unbeknownst to me, because I could now participate in some of these gatherings, our format worked better over Zoom. What I just described to you worked better over Zoom. And if you kind of think about it, it makes sense. One, it's a bunch of really busy women who now don't have a commute, who can just hop on a Zoom. Uh, Number two, they can integrate it into their lives. So all of a sudden we're in gatherings and I can see women nursing their babies. I can Mm -hmm. see one woman taking the cornrows out of her daughter's hair, uh, which I was doing last night and takes hours. (laughs) And so I realized, oh, so the engagement went up for existing crews. The other thing that happened was related to my stubbornness, which was now the woman in Tulsa, the woman in Cincinnati, no longer had to wait because Mm -hmm. if everyone's meeting via Zoom, why does it matter what city you're in? Mm -hmm. So we announced a national expansion this summer and just opened up the floodgates. We started matching women by time zone instead of city. And it's really catalyzed our growth at the Mm -hmm. crew uh, and taught me a really important, valuable lesson, especially because I wrote the tagline that every woman needs one. Uh, That's Mm -hmm. the crew. Every woman needs one. And I actually wasn't living that reality, you know, because I was saying if you were in a city or in a market that where we didn't have enough people, then you couldn't have one. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited about us growing nationally and eventually globally so I can reach the woman in Australia who keeps pinging me about how she needs a crew too. Good for her. I mean, I am so happy to hear that you've come around. This is something that has been a real passion point for me um, that I don't think that we discussed. We don't discuss it enough now, um, but we certainly weren't discussing it enough six, seven months ago, which is digital first experiences, remote work, remote everything is inclusion. Um, And this is how you can connect with caregivers, right? Like we see it within our own business. There are people that cannot go into a traditional work environment or cannot live in New York City because they're caring for a sick relative or um, they have an anxiety disorder that keeps them from wanting to be in a traditional environment. And so I love that you found your own path to discovering this, you know, kind of inclusive approach through a digital first platform um, on the crew. And I'm sure it is going to just skyrocket the number of lives that you're able to touch. I hope so. And it's also a lesson in, you know, sometimes we're wrong as founders, you know, sometimes we're wrong as leaders. And really, I think that's where if we go back to the beginning of our conversation, where the purpose and passion comes in, because at the end of the day, it was like, Tiffany, you have to serve who you need to serve. And this crisis is, is predicating and necessitating you serving more women. What are you here to do? Yep. You know, and I think that that's why being purpose first is really important. Yes, you have to revisit that North Star. It'll always, it'll always tell you where to go. Sometimes it just takes us a little longer to get with the program. We're like, exactly. oh, I got it now, you know, and that's, that's part of the journey too. Um, you know, based on that, I'm so curious how you see the idea and this definition of professional communities evolving as we collectively, everybody's shifting more towards remote and distributed and just kind of any thoughts or trends that you anticipate or are seeing now 
around professional communities in a post-COVID world? Yeah, um, a number of things. One is, you know, I really hope that the crew becomes just a ubiquitous social category. Mm. Uh, I think we're, we have categories that have served us up until this point, and I just think we need a couple of new ones. Uh, so we actually call what happens in the crew, cruise ship. Uh, mm. Whether or not you apply to my crew, I actually think that all of us need a group of people who are objective, that are actually not our friends, that, that care about us, but are not invested in our decision-making in order to help us move forward. I think we need groups of people that are diverse, that didn't go to the same school that we did, that don't have the same skin color that we do or the same eye color, that come from different backgrounds and industries. And one of the things that crew members really value is that I would not have met this group of people if I had have left it up to my social group or my workplace. And then I think the accountability is really key, you know, having people that say, hey, you said that you were going to make an impact in this way. You're not doing it. Stop making excuses, you know, and, and move yourself forward, I think is really important. And, and in the past, that's been held up as a category for people who were elite enough to be in YPO or, you know, some of these other networks. I actually think that more and more of us just need that as a social category. And I think that I wish that that could be a trend. I think that right now, a lot of our members are valuing that the crew in some ways is a bit of an escape from mm. the day to day. So having, you know, people and I think having networks that allow you to really focus on the forest from the trees in your day to day life, because most people that we interact with, it's like, hey, babe, are you going to go help her with her homework? Or, <laughs> you know, mommy, yeah. can you help me with this? To really have a group of people for whom it's not even about any of the trees. It's just all about keeping you focused on the forest, I think is really great. Obviously, we're not going to cocktail parties right now, um, or conferences or events. And so I think curated communities like the crew where you give some information and there's a matching component is really helpful um, for those of us who can't be in the room or who, I don't know, are introverts or for whom that model never appealed to you yeah. to begin with, I think is really helpful. And ultimately I think communities and, and networks that help keep us focused on what matters most to us mm. in our lives that, that, that keep us out of, you know, just like, flipping the Instagram stories and really yeah. focused on what am I doing today, tomorrow, and the next to create a life I'm passionate about and to make a difference in the world. I think that's what I'm here for. And I think more people are here for that. I love it. And technology and technology enabled platforms really create the space for us to make all of this magic that just wasn't possible before. Um, Tiffany, my parents met in a car accident, like crashed into each other. And so I look at my family as this like microcosm of diversity and like what is possible when two stars collide that like just never in a million years would have encountered one another um, in a traditional sense, right? And it sounds like I, I've just always been really inspired by that, that thought and the, the idea of like the reason I'm here is that two people literally, you know, crashed into each other that are from completely different walks of life, different skin color, religion, all of it. And it sounds like your um, 
integrating that kind of ethos into the crew to give people like, these are not just your neighbors. These are not just the people that went to the same school as you. These are not friends of friends necessarily, but we're really able to give you truly diverse perspectives and create the space for that magic to happen. Um, when you do expand beyond your kind of immediate concentric circle of crew members or allies and advocates. Absolutely. One of the questions I ask on every podcast is, we're not going back to normal, which is a good thing in so many ways, because normal was not, was not as great as we all think it was while it was comfortable. Um, what are you excited about? What gives you hope? Lots of things give me hope. Um, the one thing that gives me hope, because I'm the founder of this thing called The Crew, is that um, we have data on intentions. So I could tell you exactly what hundreds of women want to achieve over the next 12 months. And I'm really heartened by the fact that it's all about creating really great impact in their lives and in the world. So I, I get to see that on a daily basis. Um, what brings me hope are kids. Um, especially being on the founder of Girls Who Code, uh, um, on the board of Girls Who Code, being a parent um, and really seeing their optimism and feeling like the world is in good hands, despite the fact that we don't often provide them the best models for leadership. They seem to be taking that data and that information and deciding that they're going to do something differently with it. And I, that brings me an enormous amount of hope. Uh, but I think ultimately just... I know this sounds strange, but looking back at my own life, you know, remembering when I was an adolescent and I was being teased because I was skinny or because I was a nerd and, <laughs> you know, because, and seeing that with just like one decision after another, you can actually create a life that you're passionate about, you know, that you can really get clear and decide on your passion and purpose and you can stay committed to that. And you may not know what city you're going to be living in in the future. You may not know that you're going to be an author. You may not know that you're going to be an entrepreneur. Those, some of those ideas may seem kind of ridiculous to you mm -hmm. right now, which I can tell you there was a past in which mm -hmm. entrepreneur, that would have been a ridiculous idea to me. Um, but if you stay true to why you're here, and if you make decisions that are in the best interest of, you know, your values and, you know, you are determined to make your ancestors proud, you're going to be fine. Yeah, I love that. My big takeaway that I've written down and underlined um, is around what you're talking about, purpose being a decision. I've never thought of it that way, but it really resonates with me. I feel like it was a decision that I made and a decision that you made. And I love that. And I think that will be helpful for our listeners. Tiffany, I could talk to you for years. How do we keep up with you? How do we follow you and the crew on socials? Where can we find you? Yes, absolutely. So we're at thecrew.com, C-R-U. That's our handle as well, uh, at the crew. You can always reach me at Tiffany at thecrew.com. That is my real email address. Um, uh, I'm here for every woman. So, you know, reach out to me and I'm more than happy to support you in creating a life that you're passionate about and helping you to find your crew. Love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Tiffany. It was so lovely to have you here. And this wraps up season one of the Rosie Report podcast. 
Thank you to everyone who has subscribed to our first season. And while you stay tuned for season two, where I pass the mic, be sure to check out all of my incredible conversations with changemakers on Spotify or by going to therosyreport.com slash podcast. Tiffany, thank you again. We will see you on the other side. Thank you, Steph. Bye.